0: Welcome to DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm DT Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Far Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at DTKane.com. Here's the show. CHAPTER 33 Hold it right there, you three! Going to need to see some papers! Maeve had been late in returning from her final appointment, and they hadn't left her house again until after dark. Baz and Emma had spent the afternoon going over which books they'd bring on their excursion into Liamina Library. One of the rooms off the main living area had looked empty at first until Emma revealed a hidden latch along a wall's edge. The wall pulled back to reveal a small nook that Baz would have called cozy if he hadn't suspected it belonged to Maeve. An oversized chair covered in knit blankets sat beside a shelf that was completely full. Only about half the volumes were spoken books, the rest being ordinary volumes that held no power beyond the knowledge they contained. Baz had given a low whistle at seeing the space. Maeve could have opened her own library in erstwhile, though if a reader ever discovered what that room held. Baz had found himself laughing over that concern, given what he, Emma, Maeve, and the rest of the warriors were planning in the coming days. Having a shelf full of books would pale in comparison to trying to murder half the readers in the city. They'd selected a few destructive volumes for Baz and a few books of creation for Emma and stuffed them in a satchel that Emma now carried. Beyond a couple volumes that held spells of stealth, Baz doubted the books would be of consequence. If they were actually caught snooping around Farston's study, no amount of reading was likely to save them. Of course, he'd kept that opinion to himself. Now, they were tramping back the way Baz and Emma had gone earlier and had just re-entered the reading district. Emma had given a derisive huff upon noticing that the severed heads had been illuminated with torches, making them appear like skulls floating in the dark above the galphet gates. Surprisingly, Maeve had shown no anger at all, instead making the warding gesture of the Trinity, bowing her head and cupping hands together, then touching a trio of fingers to her lips. Baz looked quickly away from the gore, thankful he'd eaten little before departing Maeve's house. Though he'd expected to finally sit down to a proper meal, he'd had hours to worry about this fool's errand, and his stomach had been in no fit state to eat when dinner time had finally come. The severed heads did nothing to improve the anxious gurgling in his gut. They'd just walked around to the far side of the conservatory at the reading district's center when the voice had spoken— They went on for several more steps, hoping it had been intended for some other trio of passers-by. I said stop, growled the same voice. Maeve halted and turned in the speaker's direction. A bulky, white-robed militiaman came out of the darkness. He had his mace drawn and was flanked by two more men, one in similar dress and with a similarly grim weapon hanging at his waist, the other in an evergreen uniform of the indomitable army. The other two men were carrying armfuls of wood. The men's burdens did nothing to soften their cold glares, though, and Baz did his best to stay out of the light cast by the torch the lead militiaman was holding. If Maeve was intimidated, she gave no sign. This had better be important, the old woman said, placing hands on hips. I have an appointment with Duchess Liamina's first cousin, and I'm already behind schedule. An appointment at... The lead militiaman's voice died away as he got close enough to clearly see Maeve. The other enforcer's mouth contorted in a grimace. "'Midwife Maeve!' the third man, the one in the army uniform, said, giving the woman a slight nod. Baz nearly cried in surprise, though bit his lip just in time. He'd seen the man before. In fact, he'd seen him just the night prior at the warrior ceremony. At least, he thought he had. How many dark-bearded officers in the indomitable army would have known Maeve's name? His uniform even had the same four golden bars stitched over one shoulder that he'd noticed the night prior. Forgive us, the officer said. We couldn't see in the dark, and were preoccupied preparing the barricade around the conservatory for the start of the Congress. He indicated the stack of wood in his arms. Surely you understand. Captain's tone seemed to insinuate something unspoken, but Maeve gave no sign of noticing. What I understand, Captain Forzo, is that you're delaying me, if you'll excuse me. Before she could turn away, the first enforcer said, Who are the other two? Maeve looked up to the sky like she was being tested by an obstinate child, then turned a thin-lipped expression of impatience at the man. "'My assistance,' Maeve said. "'Can't you see the feathers?' Maeve had made a point of ensuring that Baz had his yellow feather tucked securely into the band of his hat, and Emma had braided several into her own hair, just as Maeve wore them. Despite his best efforts to resist, Baz tugged the brim of his hat low as the enforcer's eyes passed over him. "'I've never heard of a midwife needing assistance before.' "'Oh?' "'Maeve replied, "'And just how many children have you delivered?' "'The militiaman's face colored. "'Leave offer,' the captain said. "'The libraries are already edgy enough "'without us interfering with their breeding programs. "'Be on your way, midwife Maeve. "'Just try to have your business done by dusk in the future.' "'Despite the suggestion of authority in the captain's words, "'Baz caught a hint of deference in his tone. "'Maeve really hadn't been lying, it seemed.' The warriors were everywhere. If you'd like to tell the ladies of this city's libraries to not call me after dark, then be my guest, Captain. I know I'd rather be inside enjoying supper than tramping through the streets after dark. Good night to you. Without waiting for a reply, Maeve stalked away, Baz and Emma quick to follow. Wow, Baz murmured when they were far enough away from the conservators and Captain. "'I've never seen even a reader get away with speaking to a conservator like that.' <laughs> Maeve chuckled. "'Boy, there's few things the readers care about more than breeding new speakers "'and children who will grow into new readers who can use them. "'And there's little they like less than their genealogical plans being interfered with.' "'After that, Baz permitted himself a glimmer of hope "'that this mad plan might actually work.' If Maeve had that much free rein in the city, maybe she really could get them in and out of Liamina Library without issue. They walked down the street, leading to the view of the Ocean Vast, and turned toward Liamina Library, passing the statue of Farston, which was now illuminated by dozens of torches. In the darkness, the golden spires of Liamina Library seemed like misshapen horns protruding from the head of a terrible beast, the gate beneath them a gaping maw, a maw into which Baz was walking willingly. Illiterate ink and scribes help him! The road leading up to the gate likely wasn't more than a quarter of a mile, but it seemed interminable to Baz. It was surrounded on either side by unnaturally green grass, worn patches suggesting spots where vendors might set up during the day to peddle wares. A stone fountain burbled from somewhere beyond the illumination of the torches that lined the approach to the library and Farston statue. Most people probably would have called it a beautiful area, but to Baz it felt more like a death trap, and likely that was its intended purpose, however prettied up it may have been made to appear. It would be impossible to approach Liamina Library's gates unnoticed over the flat ground, and if it came to making a run for it out of the library, there'd be nowhere to hide outside the gates, at least nowhere close enough that they'd be able to reach it before being run down by guards on horseback. Baz glanced to Emma but found no solace in her face. She was tight-lipped and intent on the approaching gate. Releasing a long breath through his nose, Baz ran the tip of a finger along the brim of his well-worn hat, then tugged it lower still over his eyes, as if that would keep anyone from seeing the apprehension mounting within him with every step. Maeve led them straight toward the gate until Baz could nearly reach out and touch it. Then she diverted to the right, knocking on a small wooden door set into the massive wall. Strap hinges plated in gold extended across the entire width of the door, making it seem like an entry to a gilded prison. There was a grunt from behind the door and a whine of metal sliding on metal as locks on the other side of the door were released. The door opened a crack, and a loaded crossbow stuck out of the opening, the bolt's tip glinting in the torchlight inches from Maeve's nose. Baz jumped and half-turned to run in the opposite direction. Emma caught his wrist before he could do so. Maeve snorted and batted the weapon aside. "'Stop playing at being a harbor, Erdsmore,' Maeve said. "'You ought to have been informed I had an appointment tonight.' The crossbow lowered, followed by an obnoxiously loud clearing of a throat. A grizzled man, who was little more than skin, bones, and a bit of gray scruff across his scalp, stepped out from behind the door— the crossbow lowered, followed by an obnoxiously loud clearing of a throat. A grizzled man, who was little more than skin, bones, and a bit of gray scruff across his scalp, stepped out from behind the door. "'Of course, midwife Maeve,' Erdsmore said, inclining his head to the old woman. "'But you can't be too careful these days.' Fa man! You were sleeping before I knocked. Careful indeed!' Edgemoor drew himself up taller, though rather than adding any sort of pride to his appearance, it just made him look like a beanstalk, an old, withered beanstalk. I was not! Maeve glared at him. He shrunk back. Well, maybe I'd one eye shut. It's a terribly boring job guarding the sally port, almost never used. Most of the library don't even know it's here, or I'm a scribe's uncle. Hey now, who are these two? Airdsmore began to raise his crossbow again, but Maeve pushed it back down. Oh, put that away before you hurt yourself. Just a couple of assistants. Assistants? He asked, eyes narrowing at Emma and Baz. You've never brought assistants before. Well, I'm not going to live forever, Erdsmore. Have to start showing someone else what I do. But that one's a man, Erdsmore interjected, jabbing a finger at Baz. "Quite observant of you," Baz replied, drawing some confidence from Maeve's demeanor. "Are you sure you haven't delivered a few children yourself?" "Me? I have. Ands more. I really don't have time for this. And men can be midwives. Don't be so old-fashioned. Now, are you going to let us through or do I have to show you how to actually use that fool weapon you're waving about?" Erdsmore glowered at Baz, as if he was the reason for the embarrassment to which Maeve was submitting him. No, no, of course not. Come in. I assume you won't need an escort? I think I can find the way to the Baroness's chamber on my own, thank you. Maeve pushed past Erdsmore, motioning for Baz and Emma to follow. Baz half expected the man to raise the crossbow again as he passed, but aside from a sour glare, he made no move. They passed him and were several steps into the library when Airdsmore said, "'He'll speak the words to set us free,' Maeve responded without looking back. When they got far enough away that Baz felt comfortable Airdsmore wouldn't be able to hear, he said, "'You mean, the man in charge of guarding the entrance to Leomina Library is a warrior?' "'As I told you last night,' Maeve said." obvious satisfaction in her tone. The warriors have allies in unexpected places. Erdsmore has his uses so long as you grasp his limitations. Bass could only shake his head, permitting himself to again feel just a bit of optimism. Inside the wall was a stable yard that might have been larger than the entirety of Torchshire Library. There must have been enough room for a thousand horses in the structure, and judging by the smell, it was filled to capacity. Baz put a hand to his nose. Maeve glanced over her shoulder and cackled. It's good for you, boy. Let you know you're alive. Embrace the stench. Baz felt more ready to embrace the sides of a bucket and empty his stomach into it, even if he hadn't eaten the meal he'd been expecting. Emma was stubbornly not covering her face, but she couldn't hide the wrinkle of her nose or the thinning of her lips. She had eaten earlier. Still chuckling, Maeve led them past the horses and through a stone archway into what looked like a whole other city. Perfectly cobbled streets led past shuttered shops and narrow avenues were lined with homes, some as large or larger than Maeve's own. You weren't kidding, muttered. "'Farston really would never need to leave here.' "'Emma huffed a derisive assent. "'Quiet!' "'Maeve snapped. "'Someone hears you speaking with such disrespect "'about the Duke Liamina they are likely to kill the lot of us "'and save questions for after our bodies "'have been tossed in the sea.' "'That shut Baz's mouth in a hurry. "'Once more, he tugged downward "'on the brim of his hat, "'brushing a hand over the feather "'to make sure it was still there. "'They walked on in silence.' There were occasional sounds of merrymaking or conversation from the buildings around them, but for the most part the streets were quiet. Occasionally, a guard with a halberd over one shoulder would stride past. A couple made as if to stop them, but when they saw Maeve and the yellow feathers braided into her hair, they diverted and passed them without comment. What seemed an eternity later, they finally entered the shadow of the Liamina spires. Here, A guard did challenge them, but after giving Maeve a once-over, he permitted them to pass with a disinterested grunt. It seemed that truly no one wished to interfere with a midwife at her work. The halls inside the spire they entered were as needlessly opulent as their gilded exteriors. Chair rails and wainscoting made of sandalwood varnished to a sheen were probably their least ornate feature— gem studded sconces hung from the walls, the fire burning within them reflecting off the precious stones and casting kaleidoscopic refractions across the walls that made Baz dizzy. The carpets underfoot appeared handmade, and there were halls upon halls of them, each stitched in intricate trellis-like patterns, intermingled with vines and leaves, hearkening to the leafy sigil of Liamina Library. Maeve took so many lefts and rights that Baz quickly lost count. He began cursing after each new turn, knowing it was another impediment that put him further and further away from a quick exit. Eventually, he just accepted that being caught would be the equivalent of being run through by a blade. There was no way he'd be escaping this maze. "'Look sharp now,' Maeve said through clenched teeth, as if she didn't want anyone who might be looking to know she was speaking." "'Up ahead. We'll pass through an intersection. "'I must turn left, but you will go right, "'and then there will be a door on your left. "'Can't miss it. "'I've no excuse for going that way, so you'll be on your own.' "'What's our excuse for going that way?' Baz hissed back to her. "'You'll think of something, I'm sure, Dragon Rider. "'How will we find our way back to you?' Emma asked. "'I'll find you,' Maeve said. "'Now go.' They reached the crossing of passageways, and Maeve turned left, quickly disappearing from view. Both Baz and Emma paused, glancing at one another. "'Ready?' she asked. "'Absolutely not,' Baz said. Emma smiled, giving his shoulder a squeeze. "'Come on, Baz, get excited. It's not every day you get to make history.' "'I'd rather be making like a horse,' Baz muttered. "'What, big-faced and stubborn?' Emma asked, smile broadening. Baz shook his head. I was thinking more like galloping away from here, but I guess I walked right into that one. Come on, let's get this over with. He turned in the opposite direction as Maeve and set off down the hall, Emma following beside him. Maeve had been right. It wasn't possible to miss the door to Farston's study. Baz was nearly blinded by its brilliance. The closed entryway was adorned in the library's colors. A brilliant sky-blue enamel covered the entire door while its inner paneling and doorknob were encrusted with diamonds. He was so taken aback by the sight he didn't even see the guard until he nearly walked right into him. Emma grabbed his shoulder, pulling him aside just in time and continued past the door without stopping, dragging Baz along. He could feel the guard's eyes on the nape of his neck, but he didn't dare look back. Meve didn't say anything about a guard!' he muttered once they'd turned a bend in the corridor. "'She probably didn't know,' Emma hissed back in reply. "'It doesn't matter now. We'll have to eliminate him.' She began fishing around in her bag and began to withdraw a knife. Baz quickly pressed down on her hand, shoving it back into the bag." He looked about them to make sure no one had seen the weapon, then looked into her eyes. "'How much hand-to-hand combat training do you have?' Baz asked. "'Plenty!' she snapped back. Baz cocked an eyebrow. "'More than a guard from the largest, most powerful library in Oration? And the one assigned to guard the study of that library's duke?' Emma scowled, but she stopped resisting his efforts to keep her from drawing the knife back out of the bag." All right, what's your plan, then? Baz had to look away from her probing eyes. Emma's mother possessed the same intimidating glare, nearly impossible to hold. Baz's eyes passed over her chin and down to the exposed collarbone and generous swell of breasts that her dress exposed. Quickly, he turned his head away, though he knew Emma had noticed. But through his embarrassment, an idea blossomed. You're looking pretty good in that dress, he said. Emma narrowed her eyes at him further, though her cheeks also flushed. Now is not the time, Pass," He shrugged. No time like the present. Pass. Okay, okay. He raised his hands defensively. Well, what about that guard? You think he'll like what he sees? I bet that job of his is awfully boring. Probably wouldn't mind a bit of a show. He grinned as the color in Emma's cheeks deepened. "'What would that accomplish?' Baz slouched his shoulders in mock disappointment. "'He wouldn't be doing much guarding if he's staring at—' Baz motioned his head in the direction of Emma's chest. "'And what exactly will you be doing while he's otherwise engaged?' Emma asked, lips pursed. "'Just give me the books,' Baz said, reaching out a hand for Emma's bag." He expected her to argue, but after a few more moments of purse lipped consideration, she handed over the satchel. Baz was unaccustomed to anyone showing the slightest bit of trust in him. "'Don't screw this up,' she said. "'I won't bat my eyelashes at someone who works for a man like Farst Leamina Liamina for a moment longer than I absolutely must.' "'Trust me,' Baz said, feeling his own skin grow warm. "'I don't want you to.' Emma rolled her eyes, then backtracked down the corridor. A moment later, she let out a surprised gasp, followed by a murmured apology, punctuated by a giggle. Baz peeked around the corner. Emma was draped over the guard as if she'd tripped and somehow managed to land in his arms. The guard's back was now to Baz, and as he'd hoped, the guard was preoccupied studying the finer curves of Emma's body. The tightening in Baz's stomach made him wonder how he could have possibly suggested Emma put herself in such a position with another man. That anger churning in his gut put extra spring in his step as he came up behind the guard, and an added dose of ferocity as he slung the satchel over his shoulder by the strap, then swung it forward like a hammer. The guard crumpled to the ground as if he'd been hit by, well, a ton of books— Emma jumped back to avoid him falling on her, staring wide-eyed at the fallen man before turning the same expression on Baz. You ask me for a bag full of spoken books and you bludgeon him over the head with them? She spluttered. He looked a bit stronger than Liana, Baz said. I figured hitting him with only one wouldn't be enough. Well, what are we going to do with him now? Emma asked. Calm down, Baz said. We'll just drag him into the... Baz trailed off as he tried to open the diamond-studded doorknob, only to find it wouldn't budge under his grasp. "'Oh, torn pages,' he said. "'Great,' Emma said. "'Just—' "'Yes, he moved them to this part of the library.' The voice came from just down the hall, followed by a second responding to the first's statement. Baz and Emma's eyes met. "'Quick,' Emma said, recovering first. "'Search him. He must have a key.' "'They both stooped over the man "'and began furiously patting down his clothing. "'Come on, come on,' Emma said. "'Where is it? Where—ah, here!' "'She yanked her hand out of the man's breast pocket. "'A key came partially out, "'but then tugged at the shirt "'as if attached to something within. "'Illiterate ink!' she cursed. "'He's got it attached to a chain or something. "'I'll have to cut it from the shirt.' "'The voices were getting close.' They'd be around the corner any moment. Baz and Emma looked at each other, their eyes each saying the same to the other. They weren't going to make it. Here, Baz said, taking off his hat and throwing off the worn brown cloak Maeve had given him. It wouldn't have done for a midwife's assistant to be walking around in a speaker's robe. But she hadn't had any other shirts that fit Baz, so beneath the cloak he still wore the plain black shirt of his station and the brand on his forehead, of course. Get into the study and get your friend in there, too. Leave the door unlocked. I'll join you momentarily. Where are you? No time, Baz said, rushing down the hall toward the voices. He turned the corner and... and ran right into two women. The first was Maeve, and the look of horror on her face would have brought a smirk to Baz's under virtually any other circumstances. The other woman was dressed in a blue silk dress that appeared so soft that Baz had to resist the urge to reach out and touch it. The sleeves and high neck were finished in white lace, and she wore a cream hat with several giant feathers protruding from it. Baz immediately dropped to one knee in front of her. pardon my lady,' he stammered. "'I was just—pardon me.' He remained there on bended knee— head down, praying to the scribes the woman wouldn't cry for a guard. She sighed, but otherwise gave no indication she was about to call for Bez's head on a plate. "'See, midwife?' the woman said. "'What did I tell you? He goes through so many speakers I can't even keep track of all the new ones. Oh, do get up, boy. I'm not farstin'. I will not send you to the whipping post for bumping into me, though I might if you keep up that groveling. Sorry, my lady.' He muttered, getting up, but continuing to avert his eyes. You ought to get my title right, though. I am Baroness Maial Liamina. You will get yourself punished right quick if you don't learn the proper titles with all haste. Yes, my lady, er, Baroness. Of course, I, I will remember that. Fine, fine. Now, you look lost. Perhaps I can help you find where you were going? Uh, help me? Bez asked his surprise momentarily causing him to forget to keep the servility in his tone. A reader had never offered to help him before. "'Of course, my boy,' the baroness said as if she hadn't noticed his slip in tone. "'I recall my first weeks in the library. "'I once had to sleep in a chair down a random corridor because I couldn't find my rooms. "'What kind of person would I be if I didn't aid another from avoiding that same fate?' "'He'd no idea what to say to that.' "'My good Baroness,' Maeve interjected, "'if I might be so bold, perhaps he was headed to the kitchens?' Maeve raised her brows meaningfully at Baz. "'They're not far from here, "'and I really ought to be tending those girls who are new with child.' "'Er, yes,' Baz said before Baroness Mayal could respond. Uh, "'The kitchens, that's where I was headed. "'If you could just point me the right way, Baroness, "'I'm sure I could find my way. "'And be in your debt,' Baz added hastily, bowing his head. "'Oh, all right. You're so diligent when it comes to your work, midwife. But I guess that's why we employ you. Down that way.' The baroness pointed back the direction from which she and Maeve had come. "'Then left, then three rights, then another left. Yes?' Bass certainly had not gotten it, but he nodded his head vigorously all the same. "'Very good. Do try to be a bit more careful in the future, lad.' Some of my colleagues wouldn't be so congenial toward a careless speaker. Come along, midwife. The baroness and Maeve swept past him without another glance, though Maeve certainly looked paler than usual as she passed him by. He stared after them, still a bit stunned by how the baroness had treated him, almost as if she'd actually seen him as a real person.' Much too late, he realized they were walking directly toward where he left Emma with the unconscious guard. He held his breath as they turned the corner, which inevitably would bring them past the door to Farston's study. But there were no exclamations of surprise or cries of alarm. After waiting longer than was necessary, Baz rushed around the corner to find an empty corridor. He hurried up to the study door— tried the knob and breathed a sigh of relief, as this time it turned in his hand. He entered, closed the door behind him, and turned to find Emma's dagger inches from the tip of his nose. Oh, Bass! Emma breathed, dropping the weapon to her side. Thank the scribes! What were you thinking? The unconscious guard was flopped in a corner, the upturned edge of a dark carpet showing the path over which Emma had dragged him. He had what appeared to be a dinner napkin stuffed in his mouth, and Emma had tied his hands around the leg of a massive sideboard with a length of rope she must have had in her bag. "'Just that I needed to save you, again,' he grinned at her. She didn't return the sentiment. "'Now isn't a time for your foolery,' she said. "'I don't like the study one bit.' Baz glanced around. "'It was certainly different than the rest of the library.' Whereas nearly everything else in the building had been opulent and colorful and rich, the duke's study was stark. Nearly all the furnishings were either black or white, and those that weren't were various shades of gray. It was a massive room with many seating areas, each visually separated from the rest of the room by side tables or layered rugs. At the room's center was the largest desk Baz had ever seen, seemingly cut from a single piece of white marble. It sat atop a circular carpet that was black as death's eyes, which made the desk appear to float in a vast pool of nothingness. "'It's not really to my taste,' Baz said. "'I'm more of a pallet-on-the-floor, bare-walls-and-poor-lighting sort of person myself. This looks plenty fancy to me, though.' Use your eyes, Baz. Can't you see there's something missing? Baz glanced around the room again before shrugging. Can't say I'm an expert on the finer points of readers' furnishing habits. Emma huffed with exasperation. Books, Baz. Books. There isn't a single one in here. How can we be in the study of the most powerful reader in oration and it doesn't have a single book? Hello, D.T. crew. Welcome back to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Today is February 20th, 2023, as I record this, which is episode number 29 of season 2 of the podcast and episode number 56. Overall, I hope you enjoyed chapter 33 of Declaimers uh, Discovery. We finally get into... Liam in a library, and Baz and company overcame some obstacles to get into Farston's study, um, and now we're uh, we've left off uh, Farston's decorating, kind of kind of unique black and black and white. Uh, he's apparently kind of a, a boring guy or a minimalist. At least I guess I shouldn't insult people who like <laughs> the black and white color palette. In fact, I don't mind it myself. I am wearing a black shirt after all on this in most episodes um but there's no books in there which is kind of odd right you'd expect uh the leader of a library of oration to uh have some books in his study so you know uh you know not going quite as they've planned so far remember they're looking for a book too the declaimers transcendence so uh we'll see We'll see what's going to happen. We'll read Chapter 34 next week, and it's probably not much of a spoiler uh, to say that Baz gets into some trouble in Chapter 34, so tune in next week to see what happens. Chapter 34 is also the last chapter of Part 3 of the book, Uh, so um, I I haven't quite worked out the schedule yet, but the following week after we read Chapter 34, we might do an analysis episode, because we haven't had one of those in a while so if you have any questions uh about anything we've read in Declaimer's discovery so far really any questions just generally make sure you email them to me dtkane at dtkane.com and we can go over those uh, either next week or the following week during the analysis episode uh right uh let's see what else do we have going on here Uh quick update on uh on my dog here i uh Appreciate everyone who has sent me well wishes. He's uh, he's back home here now, uh, hopefully on the road to recovery. Um, he I, I might have mentioned this last week, but uh, he has what's called vestibular disease, which basically means his inner ears uh, are not working properly, so he's dizzy and nauseous. Um, hopefully it just kind of resolves on its own. He's gotten some uh, vertigo in nausea medicine, but usually the symptoms just resolve on their own after a few weeks. But in the interim, I'm playing a doggy nurse. He can't really walk or get up, so i got to bring him outside <laughs> to go to the bathroom and got to kind of sit with him while he eats and drinks. So it's a bit of a process, but uh, he is doing okay. Um, he can't stand uh, on his own now once I get him up, and he actually took a fair number of steps yesterday with just minimal assistance. So it seems like he's doing okay, but again, thanks everyone for uh, sending me well wishes about him, and uh, keep, your, keep your fingers crossed. Hopefully he is uh, back to normal here soon. <clears throat> uh, okay, let's see. This week's question of the week, I asked in the newsletter on Friday to share with me who your favorite fantasy character is and why. Um, we'll discuss that in the newsletter next week. And bonus points if you send me some, uh, character art, uh, just make sure to include the artist's name so I can share that in the newsletter. Uh, next week, um, as I already shared, uh, Matt from Wheel of Time is, uh, my personal favorite fantasy character. In fact, he, uh, was one of the inspirations for, for Bass, um, particularly the hat. <laughs> so, and some of the personality as well. And um, I shared a, uh, a cool uh, artwork of Matt uh, by Ariel Burgess in the newsletter this week, so you can go uh, go check out the newsletter if, uh, if you're interested in seeing that. Um, in other news, just remember that the pre-order for Into the Dragon's Maw is... Uh, it's now live, you can pre-order that, and it releases on March 10th. That is uh the fifth installment of the Spoken Books Uprising, and uh uh can't wait for uh for all of you to read that and uh, let me know what you think of it. Uh so that's uh that's the pre-order for that. Uh, let's see, what else? I didn't do a fantasy quote uh of the week this week. Um I did share a, uh, short story, started, uh, writing. You know, this is just meant more for fun. I actually started writing it in one of those, uh, writing prompt books. It gives you, like, a setting and some words that you're supposed to include in the story, and then you're supposed to kind of have at it. (laughs) So, uh, I shared that in the newsletter this week. I guess I'll read it. It's only a few hundred words. Um, and, uh, I may continue it next week, but let me know what you think about it. So, uh... I'm going to read it. I'm not going to uh, narrate it like I do uh, the spoken books books. I'm not going to go back and edit out uh, mispronunciations or anything, but I guess I'll I'll read through it here. It is called Purebred Langdog. Dog as in like a like a pet dog. <coughs> Purebred Langdog. All right. <coughs> Bud lay in a corner of the piano bar, scratching at his ear and watching his owner make a fool of himself. Again. Awkward as ever, he twirled the umbrella-topped stir of his appletini, the drink illuminated green by glowing plastic cubes at the glass's bottom. The woman beside Bud's owner was drinking a beer, and he was trying to explain to her why beer tasted so much better here on Mars. "'Oxidation!' he exclaimed." Bud whined and rolled onto his side, covering his face with a paw. "'Less oxygen in the air here, so yeast doesn't go bad as quickly.' "'Very interesting,' the woman said without enthusiasm. Bud wondered how long it'd be until his owner realized the chair to the girl's left had a sports coat draped over it. Probably not soon enough to avoid a controversy. That was hardly something Bud had the patience for. Not that it wasn't entertaining to watch his owner fight— but last week he'd sprained his wrist punching a gray skinned Martian, and he hadn't stopped complaining since. So Bud rose and shook, jangling his collar tags, and loped over to the bar. Let's go, Lazarus, Bud said. The light on his collar went from green to yellow as the Lang processor translated his growls to Earth Standard and into Laz's earpiece. Bud's owner frowned a moment later, waving a dismissive hand. "'Not now, Bud,' he muttered. "'I think she's starting to. "'Who's this?' "'The voice had a quality to it like a... "'The voice had a quality to it like that of a cracked biodome, "'a sense of impending dread lying beneath its flat tone. "'Bud looked up into the man's face. Juvenile, actually. "'Surprising. "'Bud wouldn't have expected a kid hardly old enough for the Academy "'to speak with such a dour tone.' The youth's expression was a mask impenetrable as an event horizon. No one trip, the woman said. Despite being at least ten years older, the lady showed surprising submissiveness toward the young man. Just a local drunk. Let's go. We'll be late for the carnival. I'm not a. <clears throat> <laughs> uh, let's try that again. <clears throat> no one trip, the woman said. Despite being at least ten years older, the lady showed surprising submissiveness toward the young man. Just a local drunk. Let's go. We'll be late to the carnival. I'm not from around here, Laz said, pointing the drink stir at the woman. This is only my fourth martini. Appletini, Bud said. Laz ignored him. He doesn't look drunk to me, Trip said, voice still edged with foreboding. Why don't we bring him to the carnival with us? bring him with us? The woman asked as if he'd suddenly spoken in Martian rather than Earth Standard. Of course, Tripp said. Feel free to bring your Langmut as well. I'm no mutt, Bud snapped. Of course, to Tripp's ears it was just a bark, and as he so often did, Laz ignored him once more. The carnival of the dancing robots? Laz asked. He raised his glass by the stem and toward Tripp, then downed the contents in a single swig. Why not? Been a few decades since I saw the androids' waltz. Oh, and by the way, have you tried sassafras for that rash? He motioned at a red irritation on Tripp's neck. Old earth remedy. Any greenhouse in the dome ought to be able to replicate you some. Tripp's smile matched his tone. Let's be going. To be continued. (laughs) Uh just a little little treat there for all my faithful listeners. Uh let me know what you think of the story like I said, you know, just something fun to do, you know, uh not looking for complex plot lines or even worrying about internal continuity when I'm writing this uh but uh maybe something fun for you to enjoy and just something a little different for me to do. So uh I've already written a little more to this story, so I'll share that in next week's newsletter and on the podcast, but I would Love to hear what you all think of that. Uh, I guess the only other thing to go over this week is I shared a number of photos from New York City in the newsletter this week. uh, I was uh, taking a walk around Battery Park down on the uh, the southern end of Manhattan, so uh, make sure you check those out if you haven't already. Um, And if you'd like to support the podcast, considering uh, heading over to my Patreon page and signing up over there, I... uh, share members-only posts over there and some short stories that I write, and you get free copies of all of my books, or at least they're free after you sign up for the, uh, the monthly level you want. But, uh, you know, it's basically a subscription plan to, to get all my books when they come out. Um, all right, so that is all for this week. Uh, again, we're going to read Chapter 34 of Declaimer's Discovery next week. Uh, so until then... This has been DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Thanks for listening to DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up if you liked it and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com slash podcast D.T. Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtcain.com slash books You can receive a free short story and sign up for D.T. Kane's mailing list at dtcain.com slash email dash signup If you'd like to connect you can find D.T. Kane on Facebook at D.T. Kane Author or Twitter at D.T. Author or send D.T. Kane an email at at dtkane at DT com. See you next week.